Section 2 of 10-Minute Stories by Algernon Blackwood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. The Deferred Appointment The little photographic studio in the side street beyond Shepherd's Bush had done no business all day, for the light had been uninviting to even the vainest sitter, and the murky sky that foreboded snow had hung over London without a break since dawn. Pedestrians went hurrying and shivering along the pavements, disappearing into the gloom of countless ugly little houses the moment they passed beyond the glare of the big electric standards that lit the thundering motor buses in the main street. The first flakes of snow, indeed, were already falling slowly, as though they shrank from settling in the grime. The wind moaned and sank dismally, catching the ears and lifting the shabby coattails of Mr. Mortimer Jenkin, photographic artist as he stood outside and put the shutters up with his own cold hands in despair of further trade. It was five minutes to six. With a lingering glance at the enlarged portrait of a fat man in Masonic regalia, who was the pride and glory of his window front, he fixed the last hook of the shutter and turned to go indoors. There was developing and framing to be done upstairs, not very remunerative work, but better at any rate, than waiting in an empty studio for customers who did not come, wasting the heat of two oil stoves into the bargain. And it was then, in the act of closing the street door behind him, that he saw a man standing in the shadows of the narrow passage, staring fixedly into his face. Mr. Jenkin admits that he jumped. The man was so very close, yet he had not seen him come in, and in the eyes was such a curiously sad and appealing expression. He had already sent his assistant home, and there was no other occupant of the little two-story house. The man must have slipped past him from the dark street while his back was turned. Who in the world could he be, and what could he want? Was he beggar, customer, or rogue? "'Good evening,' Mr. Jenkins said, washing his hands, but using only half the oily politeness of tone with which he favored sitters. He was just going to add, "'Sir,' feeling it wiser to be on the safe side when the stranger shifted his position so that the light fell directly upon his face, and Mr. Jenkin was aware that he recognized him. Unless he was greatly mistaken, it was the second-hand bookseller in the main street. "'Ah, it's you, Mr. Wilson,' he stammered, making half a question of it as though not quite convinced. "'Pardon me, I did not quite catch your face. Or I was just shutting up.' The other bowed his head in reply. "'Won't you come in? Do, please,' Mr. Jenkins led the way. He wondered what was the matter. The visitor was not among his customers. Indeed, he could hardly claim to know him, having only seen him occasionally when calling at the shop for slight purchases of paper and what not. The man, he now realized, looked fearfully ill and wasted, his face pale and haggard. It upset him, rather, this sudden, abrupt call. He felt sorry, pained. He felt uneasy.' Into the studio they passed, the visitor going first as though he knew the way, Mr. Jenkin noticing through his flurry that he was in his Sunday best. Evidently he had come with a definite purpose. It was odd. Still, without speaking, he moved straight across the room and posed himself in front of the dingy background of painted trees, facing the camera. The studio was brightly lit. He seated himself in the faded armchair, crossed his legs, drew up the little round table with the artificial roses upon it in a tall, thin vase, and struck an attitude. 
He meant to be photographed. His eyes, staring straight into the lens, draped as it was with the black velvet curtain, seemed, however, to take no account of the photographic artist. But Mr. Jenkins, standing still beside the door, felt a cold air playing over his face that was not merely the winter cold from the street. He felt his hair rise. A slight shiver ran down his back. In that pale-drawn face and in those staring eyes across the room that gazed so fixedly into the draped camera, he read the signature of illness that no longer knows hope. It was death that he saw. In a flash the impression came and went. Less than a second. The whole business, indeed, had not occupied two minutes. Mr. Jenkins pulled himself together with a strong effort, dismissed his foolish obsession, and came sharply to practical considerations. Forgive me, he said, a trifle thickly, confusedly, but I uh, did not quite realize. You desire to sit for your portrait, of course. I have had such a busy day and hardly looked for a customer so late. The clock, as he spoke, struck six but he did not notice the sound. Through his mind ran another reflection. A man shouldn't have his picture taken when he's ill and next door to dying. Lord, he'll want a lot of touching up and finishing, too. He began discussing the size, price, and length, the usual rigmarole of his profession, and the other, sitting there, still vouchsafed no comment or reply. He simply made the impression of a man in a great hurry who wished to find a disagreeable business without unnecessary talk. Many men reflected the photographer were the same. Being photographed was worse to them than going to the dentist. Mr. Jenkins filled the pauses with his professional running talk and patter, while the sitter, fixed and motionless, kept his first position and stared at the camera. The photographer rather prided himself upon his ability to make sitters look bright and pleasant, but this man was hopeless. It was only afterwards Mr. Jenkins recalled the singular fact that he never once touched him, that in fact, Something connected possibly with his frail appearance of deadly illness had prevented his going close to arrange the details of the hastily assumed pose. "'It must be a flashlight, of course, Mr. Wilson,' he said, fidgeting at length with the camera stand shifting it slightly nearer, while the other moved his head gently yet impatiently in agreement. Mr. Jenkins longed to suggest his coming another time when he looked better, to speak with sympathy of his illness, to say something, in fact, that might establish a personal relation.' but his tongue in this respect seemed utterly tied. It was just his personal relation which seemed impossible of approach. Absolutely and peremptorily impossible. There seemed a barrier between the two. He could only chatter to the usual professional commonplaces. To tell the truth, Mr. Jenkins thinks he felt a little dazed the whole time, not quite his usual self. And meanwhile, his uneasiness oddly increased. He hurried to... He, too, wanted the matter done with and his visitor gone. At length, everything was ready, only the flashlight waiting to be turned on. When stooping, he covered his head with the velvet cloth and peered through the lens. At no one. When he says at no one, however, he qualifies it thus. There was a quick flash of brilliant white light, and a face in the middle of it. My gracious heaven, but such a face. Him, yet not him like a sudden rushing glory of a face. It shot off like lightning out of the camera's field of vision. It left me blinded, I assure you. Half blinded, and that's a fact. It was sheer dazzling. It seemed Mr. Jenkins remained entangled a moment in the cloth, eyes closed, breath coming in gasps. For when he got clear and straightened up again, staring once more at his customer over the top of the camera, 
you stare for a second time at no one. And the cap that he held in his left hand, he clapped feverishly over the uncovered lens. Mr. Jenkins staggered, looked hurriedly round the empty studio, then ran, knocking a chair over as he went into the passage. The hall was deserted. The front door closed. His visitor had disappeared, almost as though he hadn't never been there at all. Thus he described it to himself in a terrified whisper. And again he felt the hair rise on his scalp. His skin crawled a little, and something put back the ice against his spine. After a moment, he returned to the studio and somewhat feverishly examined it. There stood the chair against the dingy background of trees, and there, close beside it, was the round table with the flower vase. Less than a minute ago, Mr. Thomas Wilson, looking like death, had been sitting in that very chair. It wasn't all a sort of dreaming, then, ran through his disordered and frightened mind. I did see something. He remembered vaguely stories he had read in the newspapers. Stories of queer warnings that saved people from disasters. Apparitions, faces seen in dream, and so forth. Maybe, he thought with confusion, something's going to happen to me. Further than that, he could not get for some little time as he stood there staring about him, almost expecting that Mr. Wilson might reappear strangely as he had appeared. He went over the whole scene again and again, reconstructing it in minutest detail. And only then, for the first time, did he plainly realize two things which, somehow or other, he had not thought strange before, but now thought very strange. For his visitor, he remembered, had not uttered a single word, nor had he, Mr. Jenkins, once touched his person. And thereupon, without more ado, he put on his hat and coat and went round to the little shop in the main street to buy some ink and stationery, which he did not in the least require. The shop seemed all as usual, though Mr. Wilson himself was not visible behind the littered desk. A tall gentleman was talking in low tones to the partner. Mr. Jenkins bowed as he went in, then stood examining a case of cheap, stylographic pens, waiting for the others to finish. It was impossible to avoid overhearing. Besides, the little shop had distinguished customers sometimes, he had heard, and this evidently was one of them. He only understood part of the conversation, but he remembers all of it. Singular, yes, these last words of dying men, the tall man was saying. Very singular. You remember Newman's more light, wasn't it? The bookseller nodded. Fine, he said. Fine, that. There was a pause. Mr. Jenkins stooped lower over the pins. This, too, was fine in its way, the gentleman added, straightening up to go. The old promise, you see, unfulfilled but not forgotten. Cropped up suddenly out of delirium. Curious, very curious. A good, conscientious man to the last, and all the twenty years I've known him, he never broke his word. A motor bus drowned a sentence, and then was heard in the bookseller's voice as he moved toward the door. You see, he was halfway down the stairs before they found him, always repeating the same thing. I promised the wife, I promised the wife. And it was a job, I'm told, getting him back again. He struggled so, that's what finished him so quick, I suppose, Fifteen minutes later, he was gone, and his last words were always the same. I promise the wife. The tall man was gone, and Mr. Jenkins forgot about his purchases. When did it happen? He heard himself asking in a voice he hardly recognized as his own. And the reply roared and thundered in his ears as he went down the street a minute later to his house. Close on six o'clock a few minutes before the hour. 
Been ill for weeks, yes. Caught him out of bed with high fever on his way to your place, Mr. Jenkin, calling at the top of his voice that he'd forgotten to see you about his picture being taken. Yes, very sad, very sad indeed. But Mr. Jenkin did not return to his studio. He left the light burning there all night. He went to the little room where he slept out, and next day gave the plate to be developed by his assistant. Defective plate, sir, was the report in due course. Shows nothing but a flash of light, uncommonly brilliant. Make a print of it all the same, was the reply. Six months later, when he examined the plate and print, Mr. Jenkin found that the singular streaks of light had disappeared from both. The uncommon brilliance had faded out completely, as though it had never been there. End of section 2